Romans 15. Romans 15, verses 8 through 21. Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offspring of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to hope, to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, as we, I read that to you tonight, did you all catch a certain title or word that was used quite a bit? Gentiles, Gentiles. Last time we met, we skipped over a section to save it for tonight's study. Last night, time we met, we were looking at verses 1 through 13, but we really didn't deal with verses 8 through 12 because they tied to the rest of the section that we just looked at. And that's what we're going to deal with tonight. In verse 8, Paul says that Christ Jesus became a servant to the circumcised. Who are the circumcised? The Jews. Very good. Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness and in order to confirm the promises that God had made to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So think about what Paul says here in verse eight and into verse nine. He said that Jesus was a servant to the Jews to show the truthfulness of God and to fulfill the promises that God had made to the patriarchs and so the Gentiles would get saved. Well, how does that all work together? How in the world was Jesus sent to the Jews to reach the Gentiles? We're going to deal with all of that tonight. So we're going to lay some foundation. Because as you're going to see, God is doing way more than we realize. And we have a tendency to try to figure out what God's doing. And when we think we know what God's doing, we try to help him. Let me tell you, he doesn't need your help. He's not served by human hands if he needed anything. The human part of me, as I shared that story with you before we started recording, wanted to say, do this, do this, do this now. And the Holy Spirit kept saying, no, 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 I just had you meet them. Let me finish what I'm doing and you just let me do what I'm doing. It's hard because we want to be God. So here's the foundation we're going to lay 
in order to understand the depth of what Paul's talking about here. Remember, Paul has already laid out that the gospel, God's plan of salvation, has always been for both Jew and Gentile. Remember at the beginning of our study, we laid that out, but I want to remind you of it. Go back to Romans 1, look at verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So here it says that righteousness of God has been revealed both to Jew and Gentile, and it's received by what? By faith. And he's shown his truth to both. Now, but when the Bible says that the gospel is to the Jew first, it doesn't mean that they had the first opportunity and then the Gentiles did. A lot of people think that that's what it says, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. God offered salvation to the Jews first and then he offered it to the Gentiles. Stop, back up a little bit. The nation of Israel didn't even begin until Abraham, correct? Were people saved before Abraham? Well, I hope you know they were. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 and I'm going to give you a little quiz. Look at verses 4 through 7. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So let me ask you a question. Was Abel, Enoch, and Noah, were they Jews? No, they were Gentiles. The nation of Israel didn't begin until God says to Abraham, I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you from your family, I'm going to start a new nation with you. So when the Bible says it was to the Jew first and then the Gentile, it's not saying God offered salvation to the Jews and then the Gentiles got the spoils. It's always been for Jew and Gentile. It's always been for everyone. It's always been by faith. But what it means by Jew first is simply, as we remember from our earlier part of our study, is that they received more light, more revelation. God blessed them with that. Go to Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2. In Romans chapter 3. Verses 1 and 2. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Paul says, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Jump over to chapter 9 of Romans. Look at verses 1 through 5. Paul says, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. 
So Paul said, look, the Jews got more light, more revelation, more understanding than the other nations did. And God not only did that, he also brought the Messiah through them. But salvation has always been for everyone, Jew or Gentile, but by faith. The Jews were created by God for his purposes and to reveal his truthfulness and to make promises to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus came on the scene as a servant to the Jews also so that the Gentiles might hope. Sounds like he's doing a whole lot of stuff at once, don't you think? Well, as you're about to see tonight, as we go a little further, he's doing even more than you might realize. This is going to get real big and real deep, so hopefully you can stick with us. Salvation was available before the nation of Israel was formed, but God, in his revealing more of his plan to the Jews, gave the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, promises. But these promises weren't only for Abraham and his offspring, but for all who would come to God by faith in God's promised one. Go back to Romans 4. I'm going to read to you a, a little bit of a section here in Romans 4. We're going to read verses 9 through 24. Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 24. Is this blessing only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Well, what blessing? Look at the verse just prior to that in verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Well, verse, eight, so verse 9 says, is this blessing that we just saw, this salvation, this forgiveness, where God just erases their sin, is this blessing only for the Jews? Are also for the people who are Gentiles, the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? And if you don't know the answer, it wasn't after, but before. If you go back and read in Genesis 15, 6, where Abraham believed God and God gave him righteousness, credited it to him as righteousness, that's chapter 15. Abraham doesn't get circumcised until chapter 17. So he was given righteousness before he was circumcised. And God was showing that this salvation is by faith and it's not tied to your circumcision. How then was it counted to him? It was, what was it before or after? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now the promise, verse 13, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world didn't come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations." 
in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. And he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he's about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Look at verse 23 now. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. When did the law come? Who was the one that God brought the law through? Moses. Y'all do realize Abraham had been dead for a little while by the time the law came. But Abraham was given righteousness before he was circumcised. He was given righteousness before the law came. So God was showing it's not tied to your circumcision. It's not tied to the law. Righteousness has always been by faith for faith. It was revealed to the Jew first in the fact that they had more light revealed to them and also to the Gentiles. But don't think for a second that the Jews had the only ones who could be saved and then the Gentiles could be. Salvation's always been for everyone. Yet, if we're faithful to Scripture, God has, by His own plan and His own choosing and His own... This is God's thing and He has to do it however He wants. He chooses to reveal more of Himself to some than others at times, does He not? He himself even, Jesus himself said, it'll be easier on the day of judgment because we're going to be judged according to how much light we received. It'll be easier on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for Capernaum. Because if the miracles that had been done in Capernaum were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Well, God, why didn't you do those miracles in Sodom and Gomorrah? I didn't choose to. But don't worry, they had enough light to respond and they'll be judged with how much light they were given. But I get to do this how I want to do it. And it's my plan. And I just want you to trust me and let me accomplish my plan. We have tried to hijack it. And this, Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. But yet, if you're faithful to the scriptures, he then said to them, but don't run off. Paul, I don't want you to go to the Jews. I know you want to go to the Jews, but I'll, I'll, I'll get you to the Jews a different way. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. Peter, I want you to go here. And God started directing what part of the globe they went. As they tried to, we, we tried to go reach everybody. As you're going to see, God wants you to be used by him in the areas and the purposes and the plans that he has for you. And don't worry about all those other people. Just be faithful in the area God has you. So in this situation now, therefore, when Jesus fulfilled his role as a servant to the circumcised, he was revealing the truth of God's promises to them. And at the same time, revealing God's plan of salvation by faith in God's provision for man's sin for all people. Let me say that to you again. When Jesus fulfilled his role as a servant to the circumcised, and I'm going to clarify that for you in just a second. He was revealing the truth of God's promises to them. 
and at the same time revealing God's plan of salvation by faith in God's provision for man's sin for all people. Jesus came on the scene, fulfilled all the prophecies of the first coming of the Messiah. He kept pointing them to the prophecies. When John the Baptist said, are you the one or should we look for another? He said, everything's right on schedule. You just go back and tell John the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, and the good news is being preached to the poor. He reminded them of the prophecies and he was fulfilling the promises. Every aspect of his first coming had been prophesied and it was being fulfilled by him. Yet at the same time, as you're about to see, I'm going to show you from the scriptures, while Jesus was being a minister to the Jews to fulfill and to show them the truthfulness of God and his promises, he was at the same time showing the Jews and the Gentiles salvations for everybody. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15 verses 21 through 28. In Matthew 15, verse 21, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of where? Tyre and Sidon. Keep that in mind. And behold, a Canaanite woman. Is she a Jew? No, she's a Gentile. A Canaanite woman from that region, Tyre and Sidon, came out and crying, was crying, have mercy on me. Listen to this. O Lord, son of David. Don't miss that, folks. Here's a Gentile who knows who Jesus is. According to the Jewish prophecies. When she said, oh, Lord, son of David, she was saying, I believe you're the one. The Old Testament prophecies that were written and given to the nation of Israel. That you're the fulfillment of it. But look at Jesus's response. She says, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and she knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed Instantly. Now, this is going to make a little bit more sense if you go now with me to Luke chapter 6. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. And he, this is Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is his hometown. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the cover recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all of this in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing in other words i'm fulfilling the truthfulness of god's promises to the patriarchs 
And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, but isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard that you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, the prophet, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, none of those Jewish widows, but only to Zarephath in the land of where? Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Stop for a second. Jesus says, hey, remember back when the prophet Elijah was sent to the Jews and because of their rejection of God, God had it not rained for three years and six months. There were a lot of widows in Israel at that time, especially in trouble because of the famine and the, and the drought. But God didn't send him to any of the Jews. He sent him to a widow in Zarephath in the town of Sidon. And now so many years later, a lady in that area believes in Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He was sent to the Jews. Yet, at the same time, he's showing the Jews God's salvation's been for everyone all along. As you're about to see, they don't like this message. Keep reading. Then he says, and there were, verse 27, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. I always picture Jesus walking out of that crowd saying, I'm going to die on a hill someday, but not this hill and not today. But why did the Jews want to kill him? Because he said God was for the Gentiles too. And they didn't like that. Now, I'm going to chase a rabbit real quick, and I'm just going to leave the Spirit to do this work, but I want to say something to you. We live in a day in which wickedness is increasing, is it not? And with all the news media and outlets that are there, we see things happening across the globe that normally we probably wouldn't even know about back in the day unless you had a newspaper. And maybe wouldn't even see half of what you saw because the newspaper can't cover it all. So we, we get to see atrocities now across the globe and the more wickedness you see, the more temptation you're going to have to start becoming pharisaical and assuming that those people are wicked and God hates them. That's how the Jews felt about the Gentiles. They felt the Gentiles were only created for two reasons. One, God had to send somebody to hell. And it ain't us Jews. And two, we need servants. Seriously, that was the mindset of many of the devout Jews. That's why when they came back from Babylon after having been taken captive into Babylon and some of them had intermarried with the Babylonians and made half-breed children, they made them live in the area of Samaria and they wouldn't even go through Samaria because they were half-breeds. And there's a tendency for us to forget that God loves all those wicked people that we see on the globe right now. He loves them just as much as he loves you and me. So don't fall into that pharisaical attitude of, I'm glad I'm not like those people. And God, when are you going to bring your judgment? There's going to be an attitude change. By the way, if you haven't signed up for our study on Revelation that's coming up a week from Saturday, I'll make a commercial about it as we close tonight, but I want you to. But let me just tell you, during the church age, 
When believers are killed, they say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. During the tribulation period, they'll be calling out, how long till you avenge our blood? But we're not in the tribulation period yet. So you don't have that attitude of how long until you avenge our blood. That's for the next time period. So Jesus is fulfilling his role to the Jews by proving to them the promises of God and the truthfulness of God, yet at the same time, revealing that he also was a light to everyone. This is why Paul then goes on in verses 9 through 12, and then verse 21 in our section of Romans 15, to show that the Old Testament had said that salvation was available all along to the Gentiles through the promised servant to the Jews. Go back to Romans 15. Look at verses 8, uh, sorry, 9 through 12, and then in verse 21. He says, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore, I will praise you among who? The Gentiles and sing to your name. I'm not going to take the time to take you back to each of these passages. We've got too much to cover tonight. But if you don't mind double checking me and make a little note here, write down 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 47 through 51. You're going to see that he quotes from 2 Samuel 22, 50. But verses 47 through 51 will give you a better context. Verse 10 and again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's Deuteronomy 32, verse 43. Now, some of your translations may say heavens, rejoice, O heavens. But Gentiles is a correct interpretation or translation of that word. Verse 11, he says, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. That's from Psalm 117, verse 1. But go look at Psalm 117, verses 1 and 2 later on, and you'll see it there. He then in verse 12 says, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. That's Isaiah 11, verses 10 through 13. And Isaiah 11, verse 1 tells us who the root is. It's Jesus. And then also in verse 12, in him will the Gentiles hope. That's Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Let's go and look at that one, because you're about to see that that one's going to help us a little bit if we read it. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah 42, yep, verses 1 through 9. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to who? To the nations. Some translations say Gentiles. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. In the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and his spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I'll take you by the hand and keep you. I'll give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations or for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass 
and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So here we see in this prophecy that there is a chosen servant of the Lord that he's going to put his spirit upon and he's going to bring glory to the nations and salvation to the Gentiles. And he's not going to be somebody that's going to be out on the street corner screaming and yelling. But I want you to look quickly at verse four. There's something here that we need to see. And he, this is Jesus we know now, will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. I'm going to ask you an honest question. Has that been accomplished yet? Has justice been accomplished on the earth? And is, are the coastlands waiting for God's law? No. In this prophecy, there's also prophecy about his second coming. Because if you go back and look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 9, uh, sorry, 20 through 27 in the 77's prophecy, it talks about how there are 77's decreed for Israel and the city of Jerusalem to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to bring in everlasting righteousness. That all hasn't happened yet, folks. As we studied the book of Daniel, you remember part of that has been fulfilled by Jesus' first coming, but the rest of it won't be fulfilled till his second coming. Actually, in Acts chapter 3, Peter's preaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says Jesus has gone to heaven until the time for all of the prophecies made to the prophets about his second coming to be fulfilled. Remember the angels, when Jesus ascended, said, this, why are you looking up there? This same Jesus will come back. Jesus is coming back to the earth. The prophecies about his first coming were fulfilled and they were written hundreds and thousands of years prior to when he came the first time. And it's been a while since those prophecies were written about his second coming. And let me just tell you, they will be fulfilled. And that's why it will help you to know what the scripture says is coming and what will look worth will look like as it gets right up to the time, because that'll make it a little bit easier for you to deal with this world, because you'll say as bad as it is, Bible said that was going to happen. As crazy as this is, Bible said that was going to happen. And you'll be encouraged as the day draws closer. But go to Matthew chapter 12. Look at verses 14 through 21. We're about to move into the deep area. Matthew chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Matthew 12, verse 13, if I get to the right passage myself, here we go. Verse 14, the Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus how to destroy him. Now Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. Hang on for a second. Why in the world was Jesus... Revealing himself to these people, yet saying, don't tell anybody who I am. Before you answer that question, go with me to Matthew 16. We're coming back to Matthew 12, but go to Matthew 16. Look at verse, th verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and other Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. He just got it right. The Spirit of God opened his eyes. Jesus said, blessed are you. Flesh and blood didn't open your eyes. My Father's opened your eyes. Now listen closely. Even though you know it, don't tell anybody right yet. As you're about to see, God is working out his plan of salvation. And he is doing it in his way, according to his plan. And he wants to use us, but he wants us to be used humbly and waiting for when he says, okay, go. Okay, speak. Don't say anything just yet. Let me finish what I'm doing. We've been in such a hurry to get people saved. Would you like to pray this prayer right now? That we have actually had so many false conversions in our churches today. We wonder why church business meetings look the way they do. Well, you shouldn't be surprised. You've got churches full of people that aren't saved. But we've been in a hurry to produce results. And we've been taught the church growth formulas. And we've been taught in the church to focus on church growth. And let's be honest, in most of your churches, they judge your pastor on whether or not the church is growing. Where the Bible actually says what you should be looking for is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. This is what God's concerned about. Actually, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. Gates of hell aren't going to stop it. And uh, I don't need you to get this done. And I'm going to add to the church daily, such as those who are being saved. You guys focus on loving each other and growing in your love for me. And that's what we're to focus on. And like you've heard me say before, Paul never, ever, ever, ever wrote to a church and said, how many are running? What's your attendance now? He also never wrote, and it's surprising to us in our day today, he never wrote to a church and said, how many of you reached for Christ? You ever notice that? And so here in this situation, go back to Matthew 12. Jesus healed them, and then he ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased. I'll put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. You Old Testament Bible scholars, where did, where did Matthew just quote from? Isaiah 42. We just read it. You're an Old Testament Bible scholar now, if you know. It's Isaiah 42. You just read it. Folks, let me say this to you. God is working out his plan. Do you know that the Bible in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, that say, it says that God has already set the day of judgment? But haven't we been told that it's waiting on us? That's what we've been told, isn't it? Soon as we get the gospel to the whole world, then the end will come. Misunderstanding of Matthew 24. The day's already been set. Acts 17, verse 31. The day has already been set, the day of judgment. It's not waiting on anything. The question is, are you going to be in line with this big God who's working out his plan 
Paul said, I had a plan. I had, once I got saved, I wanted the Jews to get saved so bad. And if I could have gone to hell and that made the Jews saved, I would have done it. Paul then in the verses back to chapter 15 of Romans, he goes on to show that he had been given a specific mission or an assignment from Jesus to be an ambassador to who? To the Gentiles, a minister to the Gentiles. Go back to chapter 15. Look again at verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering, offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my works for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on and quotes from another Old Testament passage, by the way, and that's also it's Isaiah 52, verse 13 through 15, verse 21 of Romans 15. He's quoting from Isaiah 52, 13 through 15, about those who hadn't heard will hear. Let me say this to you. Paul wanted the Jews to be saved. But he had to humble himself and say, Lord, you've put that in my heart, but how do you want to accomplish it? And God says, here's how I want to accomplish it. I want to accomplish it by sending you to the Gentiles. Now remember, Jesus was a servant to who? To the Jews. But in being a servant to the Jews, God was using him to reveal truth to who? The Gentiles, everyone. Not just the Jews, but everyone. And Paul starts to realize himself, we've just seen it in chapter 11, you might not remember, but I'm going to remind you in a second. He started to realize that as much as he tried to go to the Jews, remember Paul first tried to go synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, and every time he does, they, they chase him out of town, they beat him up, they stone him, they leave him for dead, or they put up plots to kill him, or they beat up anybody that he stayed in their house and that kind of stuff. And God says, relax, that's not the plan I have for you is to go synagogue to synagogue. My plan is for you to go to the Gentiles. Oh, but as you go in the ministry I have for you to the Gentiles, I'm going to use you through the Gentiles getting saved to make Israel jealous. Let this sink in for a minute. Salvation has always been for everyone. God reveals however much light he wants to to whoever, whenever he chooses, however he goes. Everybody hears. Everybody has an opportunity to be saved. Salvation's always been for everyone. Yet, he didn't even have a nation of Israel until the time of Abraham. And salvation had been always revealed by faith for all those generations prior. But then he decides, or he's already planned beforehand, that he actually was going to create a people, the nation of Israel, have the Messiah come through him. He's going to make, uh, through them. He's going to make promises to them and all that. And the Messiah is going to come from them. And he's going to fulfill that promise. And he's going to be a light to the Gentiles even more by preaching to the Jews. Now, he is using the church to make Israel jealous, and when he's done with the church age, we're going to go be with the Lord in the rapture, and he's going to finish what he started for the nation of Israel, and then he's going to come back himself and set up his kingdom on the earth and accomplish more during that time period. This is all God's big, amazing plan. And that's why at the end of chapter 11, he's just finished with all oh, the, depth, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who's ever known the mind of God? Who's ever been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him for from him and to him and through him are all things? To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, because of the fact that this is all about God and he's letting us be a part of it, in view of his mercy, offer your body, your flesh, your life as a living sacrifice which is your reasonable service or your spiritual act of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, which is living for self. But renewed, be renewed in your mind. Then you will know what his will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Oh, and the very next verse says, and don't consider yourself more highly or think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But each of us with sober judgments and a measure, with a quarter of measure of faith that we've been given. If your gift is this, use it in proportion to your faith. If your gift is this, just do that. Folks, Christianity becomes a joy when we stop trying to accomplish things for God and stop trying to help God. And we humble ourselves and say, Lord, this is your plan and it's all on schedule and I want to be a part of it. What part can I play? And all he's going to say is, I'll put a desire in your heart, but you're going to have to walk with me a day at a time to know what the plan is. You know, God's call on my life is to equip and challenge Christians to grow deeper. I've had the privilege of having people come to faith in Jesus and get saved under my teaching and preaching and that. But be honest with you, I'm not wired as an evangelist. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastors and teachers. I am been called by God to travel and to equip the church. And my passion is to come alongside Christians and help them get closer back to Jesus and back to his word and what it means to be biblically led of the spirit. That's why what happened on the golf course on Thursday jazzed me so much. I didn't have the privilege of leading someone to Jesus. I had the privilege of having somebody who knew Jesus already go back and get to know him more. Do you understand what I'm saying? I love these study times. I love my travel, but it kills me when I'm not able to be here with you on Tuesdays and Wednesday nights because I want to take Christians who are hungry enough for the word of God that can handle drinking out of a fire hose every week. I, I want to keep feeding you the word so that you'll grow in your walk with the Lord. This is what I love to do. And Paul said, I have started to love my ministry. And the only thing I'm trying to do now is I want to get the gospel to the Gentiles because that's what God told me to do. But now, let me ask you this question. The church in Rome that he's writing a letter to, had he been there yet? No. As you're going to see when we get to chapter 16, he's making plans and hopes to visit them at some point. He's never met them. Yet, why does he have a passion for the church in Rome? Because they're full of what? Gentiles. The church in Rome is mostly Gentiles. And he wanted them to grow in their love for the Lord. That's his ministry. This mission from God for Paul to preach to the Gentiles is why Paul wants to preach where others haven't preached yet. This is why he's also willing to suffer beatings and imprisonments, because in going through these trials, he came in contact with many Gentiles who were in positions of power and authority, just like God had planned for him. I'm going to say that to you again. He not only was wanting to go preach to the Gentiles, he actually wanted to go preach to the authorities in the Gentile realm because that was God's plan for him as well. Go back to Acts chapter 9. You might have missed this. Acts chapter 9, look at verses 3 through 16. We're going to see that, read the story of Paul getting saved. He's Saul at this time, so you might be confused when you see the name Saul, but it's, it's him. 
He got a new name just like Simon turned to Peter. Can't wait to find out what my new name is. I like Rocky, though. Rock's pretty good. Rock man, like, like Peter. Look at Acts chapter 9. Look at verses 3 through 16. Now he went on his way, and as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he couldn't see, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before who? The Gentiles and who? The kings and who? And the children of Israel. Did you catch that? Jesus was sent to the Jews and in sending, fulfilling his mission to the Jews, the Gentiles heard. And Paul was sent to the Gentiles and fulfilling his role to the Gentiles, the Jews will hear. Stop thinking you know what God's doing. Just share where he tells you to share. Say what he tells you to say. Leave what he's doing to God. We have a tendency to figure out, think we know what God's doing. And then we try to finish the story. God says, you don't know the rest of the story. Philip, I told you to leave here and head south toward Gaza. I didn't say you'd ever make it to Gaza. As he was on his way to Gaza, because he was told to head toward Gaza, the spirit then tells him to go over to the chariot. And as he does, listens to the spirit, he doesn't say, hey, God told me to go to Gaza. No, just walk with me. I'm going to head you in directions, but you may not know where you're going to end up. Just go with me. I got a plan. And just do what I tell you to do each day. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll accomplish my plan for you. Jesus only did what the father had him do. Even though masses of people were saying, hey, we want you to stay here in this town. He said, nope, the father just told me it's time to head to the next town. But there's an open door here. Yeah, but that's not what the Father wants me to do. Paul himself at the end of chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians said, I want to come visit you, but I'm going to wait because there's an open door for ministry. Even though there's opposition, there's an open door. Yet in chapter 2 of, first, of 2 Corinthians, he said, and when he came into this area of Troas, even though an open door was made by the Lord, my spirit wasn't at rest because Titus wasn't there and I didn't stay. See, we've been taught if the door's open, that's what I'm supposed to walk through. No. God wants you to listen to that still small voice. Don't live by your policies. Don't live by your formulas. Learn how to walk with Jesus. Oh, he's going to put a desire in your heart. He's going to give you a gifting. Some of you are givers and you support ministry. L listen to where he tells you to give. Some of you are encouragers. Listen to when he tells you to encourage. Don't say, well, I'm an encourager. I'm just going to go encourage everybody. No, sometimes he's going to say, that person doesn't need encouragement right now. They need to hit the bottom. But in our desire to go use our gifts, help God, 
we get in the way of what God's trying to do sometimes. Do you see what I'm saying? But Paul started to realize God said that I was going to go preach to kings. By the way, you don't just go knock on the door of a Gentile king and say, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. So what was God's plan for getting Paul to the Gentile kings? Imprisonment, beatings, trials, being accused of things that weren't true. And that's why Paul can sit in a prison and praise God because he was going to meet the magistrates. I can promise you, Paul wasn't sitting in his prison praying, Lord, get me out of this. Lord, get me out of this. You know how I know he wasn't praying that? First off, the Bible says he was just singing, him and Silas. And secondly, if he had been praying, get me out of this, get me out of this, get me out of this, when the doors fell off and the chains fell off, what do you think Paul would have done? He answered my prayer. But that wasn't what he was praying. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3. Tell me if this doesn't read a little different now. Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and following. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of who? I'm a prisoner for you guys. Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Well, we've already seen the mystery was not that the Gentiles would be saved. We've already read a bunch of passages that said the Gentiles would be saved. But what was now being revealed was not only that the Gentiles would be saved, but they would be co-heirs with all the Jews, all the promises God made Israel. They've been, they're all the Gentiles as well through faith. Because it's always been by faith for faith. That hadn't been revealed before. But what was being revealed now was that the Gentiles are equal in the eyes of God for the Jews, as the Jews. And all the promises for Israel. Well, have you ever book, read in the book of Ezekiel how he tells the nation of Israel that in the last days he's going to erase their sin, he's going to sprinkle them with clean water, and he's going to put his spirit, give them a new heart, put his spirit within them, and cause them to move and follow his decrees? Guess what you and I have already? He's given us that. He's erased our sin. He's washed us clean. He's given us a new heart. We're a new creation and he's put his spirit within us already and he's causing us to follow his decrees. As we yield to him, he takes control. Guess what? That one day is going to be fulfilled in the nation of Israel, but it's ours now. Oh, and by the way, the sad thing is the church nowadays is making everybody think that Christianity is a bunch of rules. Christians don't do this and do do that. And we judge you on whether or not you're wearing a dress or whether you're wearing pants or whether or not you got makeup or don't have makeup or whether a guy wears a baseball cap in the sanctuary or whether or not you bring a coffee into the sanctuary and all this stuff. Listen to me. Jews are not going to be jealous by a religion of rules. I think they've had that, don't you think? But we're to live, work. We live in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code, folks. Learn to live in the freedom that you have in Christ. Oh, the Bible says don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But at the same time, thank God he's not judging me on how good I've been today. 
And when I learned to understand that, I serve out of the new way of just worship, thanking. And one day, and I pray soon, his plan for the time of the Gentiles is going to come to an end. He's going to finish what he started with Israel. You know what I'm praying for? I'm praying to see Jews start to get saved in mass. Because if Jews start getting saved in mass, and I think we're going to see that before the rapture of the church, because there's going to be 144,000 at the beginning of the tribulation period that are going to be sealed as witnesses, 144,000 men who are going to be witnesses. There's going to have to be a whole lot of Jews get saved before we have 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. But when we start to see a massive amount of Jews starting to come to faith, boy, I'm going to tell you, get ready. That means the time is drawing to an end. He's starting to move his drawing to the Jews again, and the Gentiles are going to be taken home. That's why when Jesus in John chapter 12 was told by Philip and Andrew that these group of Greeks want to see Jesus, he said, it's time to die. Because he knew that his father was moving his drawing from the Jews to the Gentiles in mass. It's time to go to the cross. Keep reading what he says next, though, because here's the deep, deep, deep part. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to who? The rulers and authorities where? In the heavenly places. Stop. We've been taught from Matthew chapter 5 to do our good deeds before men so that they'll see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. And we think we're on a stage for the world to see. And yes, you are. But as you are living out your life of obedience in front of the world, just like Jesus was sent to the circumcised so the Gentiles would come to faith, and Paul was sent to the Gentiles so that the Jews would eventually come to faith, the Bible says that God is actually using us right now to display His glory to the angels and the demons. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to be saved. I don't believe the Bible teaches there's salvation for them. But do you ever notice how the book of 1 Peter says that angels long to look into this relationship that we've been given? Why are they watching? I'm going to say something to you, and I want the Spirit of God to just kind of take it where He wants to. Let me say this to you. You may be good at putting on a good show when people are watching. You, if you're like me, you know that when you have the biggest struggle against temptation is when you're alone because nobody's watching. Well, you know Jesus is. I hope you do, but... Have you ever noticed that you might be bringing shame to the name in front of the angels? Your, your wife might not know the stuff you're doing. Your husband may not know the stuff you're doing. Jesus does. And so are the angels. Oh, but if you would learn how to yield yourself to him, even when you're alone and no one's watching, the angels would have to say, I know how messed up those humans are. And the fact that they would yield themselves and say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. God, you must be an amazing God for them to respond in that way. You're right now on a bigger stage than you thought. You thought he was just using you to preach to your neighbor. 
Paul then at the end of this section says, look what he says in verse 13. I ask you not to lose, over, lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. God has put me through beatings and imprisonment, Paul said, and trials and jails. It's all part of his plan, and he's using this suffering in my life for you. So don't be discouraged. Everything's right on schedule. By the way, for those of you that know Paul's story, did he ever get to Rome? Yes, he did. How did he get to Rome? Imprisonment. You go read the end of the book of Acts. He wrote Ephesians from Rome, a prison in Rome. Philippians from a prison in Rome. I want to get to see you, Paul says. God says, I'll get you there. But it might not be the way you think. Have you ever considered that much of what God has had you go through in your life has been preparing you for the mission he has for you? Or that the environment that you're in that you might not have chosen could be the exact place of mission that God has for you right now? How many of us look back on the stuff we've been through and think, man, where was God? Well, God says, actually, I planned on using that one day for what I want to do through you now. Or when am I going to get out of this? Well, have you ever considered that maybe you're supposed to be there for a season? Maybe this trial you're going through, this sickness, this relationship issue that God, don't try to figure out what it is. I'm pretty sure that the scripture doesn't hint this way at all, but I'm pretty sure that Paul and Silas did not know that the jailer and his family were going to get saved that night. But all they did know, though, was when they were being arrested and beaten, the Holy Spirit was telling them, keep your Roman citizen card in your pocket and don't pull it out. Because they don't reveal that they were Roman citizens till after. But God had a plan. And I don't know what it is, and neither do you, but... You may, like I shared with you at the beginning before the recording, end up in a situation that you thought was just innocuous and all of a sudden it was a God ordained. And by the way, those texts I got from those two guys, they have been saying over and over, we thought we had gone to Florida just to play golf. God had us there to meet you. That's pretty big. I'm glad I didn't try to make it happen. I'm going to close with one last passage of scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians 7 verse 17. This is a passage that I've been meditating on for a little while and I can't tell you that I've got it fully understood. But Paul makes a statement here in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 17 that I want you to start ruminating on. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 17 it says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. And to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Let me read it to you again. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. As you keep reading in the context, he's dealing with where you're circumcised, don't seek to be uncircumcised. Or if you're uncircumcised, don't seek to be circumcised. Or he says, look, if you're a slave and you get your freedom, that's fine. But the point is this. You're not where you are by accident. I used to go on mission trips. I've been to 18 countries and I used to feel guilty for living in America because of the poverty in the rest of the globe in a lot of places, except for when I went and preached in Dubai. They looked down on us poor Americans in Dubai. But 
One day I read Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and following, where it says, The God who made everything doesn't live in temples made by human hands. He's not served by human hands if he needed anything. But he determined the exact times that we'd be born and the exact places that we'd live. I've been created by God to live here at this time and for this season. So don't be in a hurry to get to your next assignment. Stay where you are until God moves you. Do you understand? The church today is preaching, dream big things for God, accomplish great things for God, and it sounds great, but it's actually demonic. You don't believe me? Go read James. James chapter 4. Selfish ambition is demonic. Satan had been given a role, had he not? A guardian cherub? But he wasn't satisfied with the role that he had been given, and he wanted more. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that verse 5 and following, Have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Even though he was God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself and he took the role that God had assigned for him. Remember his servant, the one in whom I'm super pleased with. I'm putting my spirit on him and he's going to accomplish my plans on the earth, even though that role meant death on a cross. So, just like John the Baptist, when they came to him and said, don't you realize that guy you baptized? There are people following more following him than they were you. He said, a man can only receive what he's been given from above. He must increase. I must decrease. You want to find happiness in the Christian life? Stop trying to be something and find out why he made you, why he saved you, what your gifts are, and then let him show you how to use them a day at a time. I love you. Thanks so much for coming.